Let's turn to Revelation chapter 8. One of the issues that a lot of people take with Christianity, with us as believers, and the Bible that we study, that we read, that we base our lives upon, I'm trying to remember who it was, some famous person I was just reading about, and they had said about reading the Bible and the Quran, and their takeaway was that they felt that both books, the Bible and the Quran, were filled with violence. Now, the, I know the, where they get that with regard to the Bible is that there are a lot, there's a lot of information in the Old Testament about the, uh, the warfare that Israel was involved in over the years and the things that took place under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And people take issue with that. If your God is a God of love, why is there all this violence in the Bible? Why did God tell the Israelites to destroy all the inhabitants of Canaan and so forth? And again, uh, within the context of the 21st century and the modern culture that we're living in, it's really hard for a lot of people to grapple with those issues and come out with a satisfying conclusion. But the bottom line, as you probably already know, is that God had commanded the Israelites to destroy those peoples, those people groups, because they, were, they worshipped false gods, they were idolaters, their worship involved a lot of the things that this priest was talking about, perversion, temple prostitution, male and female, temple prostitution, child sacrifice, known today as abortion. And these are all the reasons why God commanded the Israelites. And it wasn't as though this had only gone on for a short period of time. It had gone on for literally hundreds and even thousands of years. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 today where God talks about the fact that he's made himself known to all people through creation. And yet they turned away from worshiping the creator and began to worship the creation itself. So... Again, even as believers, we've been so brainwashed by the modern media, and even in many cases, the modern church, I'm sorry to say, that when we hear things as extreme as what this gentleman was talking about, oftentimes it provokes a very negative reaction. But there's been more talk lately about a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview a godly worldview versus an ungodly worldview. And the only place that we can get and develop a biblical worldview, obviously, is from the Bible, and that means the whole Bible, from beginning to end. And yet so many of us have been so influenced by this culture that we live in that when we hear certain things, we are, quote, triggered. You see? We're triggered. And so we need to really work at making sure that we're operating from a truly biblical world view. Romans 8, beginning in verse 7. The first angel sounded, so we're moving now into the second series of judgments, the trumpet judgments. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for wisdom, insight, and understanding as we explore this 
second half of the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. And we do, God, pray that you would cultivate within us through the, uh, the power of your word, the truth of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, a truly godly biblical worldview that cannot be triggered by the deceptive philosophies of men and wisdom of men that we are bombarded with on a daily basis. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you just uh, one or two good reasons why you should not be influenced or swayed by the popular opinion of the day. You, you already know that, but I was just thinking, even I was, as I was reading this passage, daily we're bombarded by people on the left, the liberal side of things, or progressives as they prefer to be called today. Hollywood, for example. They're right in there with the, you know, ban all uh, firearms, ban all weapons, um, so forth and so on. And yet, a vast majority of the movies they make are all about guns and violence and shooting and killing, right? Many of them have their own personal armed bodyguards. And see, I've told you before, the Pharisees are alive and well. They live in Washington, D.C., and they live in Hollywood, California. The Pharisees put burdens upon the people that they themselves were not willing to bear. Legalism expects everybody else to be perfect while you're free to do whatever you want. That's Phariseeism, that's legalism. And you can define it, it can either be in the church, or again, it can be in the political realm, it can be in the entertainment world, but it is hypocrisy to the extreme. And whereas today's mentality is that uh, no matter, you know, it's, I've said this for years, it's rewarding the perpetrators and punishing the victims. Every day we see people who've committed the most heinous crimes, released from jail, released from prison, turned out on the streets. It's happening every day. And then somebody doesn't wear their mask in public and they get a fine or they get arrested or something like that but then they turn loose the murderers, the rapists, the pedophiles. You see what an insane, crazy, upside-down world we're living in? And the reason I point these things out is because then when people say, oh, I would never worship your God, your God is a God of violence. Our God is a God of justice, righteousness, holiness, he is perfect in all of his ways, and the fact that the human race even exists at this point is because of his grace. And there did come a time in ancient human history where God said, you know what, enough is enough. It was called Noah's flood. And yet even, even in the midst of judgment, there's always God's grace. God preserved and saved Noah and his family. When he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he preserved Lot and his family. But see, God, because of his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, sin just can't exist in his presence. Jesus came to bridge the gap by dying on the cross for our sins, giving us forgiveness, redemption, absolution, if you will, so that we might enter into the presence of God, which we now do through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Spiritually, we can enter right into his presence, but the time is coming when we will dwell in his midst. And when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he cannot, will not allow anything other than perfection. That's why all evil, all wickedness, all sinfulness has to be judged. And that priest laid it out in that video, the perversion, the sickness, the evil. All right, verse 7. The first trumpet, we see a lot of things happening with the environment in this second series of judgments. We had the seal judgments, now the trumpets. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And this is very much like the ninth plague of Egypt in Exodus chapter 9, verses 18 through 24. We're told the Lord sent thunder and hail. Have any of you seen what damage hail can do? And the bigger the 
The size of the hail, the more damage it does. In fact, in this region, the Rocky Mountain region, especially up in Colorado, they're always having these hail damage sales where hundreds and even thousands of vehicles, brand new vehicles in, in the lot, parking lots of uh, car dealers get damaged from hail and they have to have a big hail auction, sell off the cars that are damaged. Just imagine the bigger the hail, the bigger the damage. The Lord sent thunder and hail and fire mingled with the hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground. It's also reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we just referenced a moment ago. And a third of the trees were burned up. And so the, here we see the beginning. Now we're about two, two and a half years, I believe, into the tribulation. That's what uh, a number of Bible scholars believe at this point in chapter 8. We're, we're not quite to the halfway point, but we're moving in that direction. And we're now seeing the, the uh, beginning of the deforestation of the earth. We have a lot of environmentalists today who think they're trying to preserve the planet, preserve the environment. But a lot of the fires we've seen all over, particularly in our part of the country and on out to California, are actually been caused by the preservationists because they prevented proper forest management, leaving all this undergrowth, underbrush, dead trees, because the environmentalists stopped any kind of management of the forests. We see what happens when we have drought, these forests, these, these fires break out, but it's nothing compared to what's going to be happening. Do you guys remember several years ago the Arizona fires that filled Albuquerque with smoke? It was freaky, man. It was like the apocalypse. My wife was working at El Pinto Restaurant there in the North Valley at the time, and she had people coming in, patrons coming into the restaurant, all freaked out. They thought it, it was the end. I just thought it was really smoky. <laughs> but some of these people thought it was the end of the world. We've seen that. We've experienced it right here in Albuquerque. We should take care of our environment, obviously, and, I, and the truth of it is that that. Our nation's been one of the best. A lot of good management and replanting of trees and so forth. There's been concern about the deforestation of the Amazon, different places around the world, but it's nothing compared to what God's going to do in the tribulation. And a big reason we're going to see here in Romans 1 is because, again, because man has turned from worshiping God to worshiping the creation. If we worship the God of creation... He will guide us and direct us and give us wisdom on how to manage the things that He's given us. But when our focus turns from Him and onto the creation itself and we begin to worship it, that forces Him to take action, you see? Another one of the uh, manifestations of the tribulation will be severe drought over the planet. We know that that does then create a tinderbox-like environment which then easily is caught fire. Romans 1, 18 through 23, the wrath of God, there it is, we've talked about it so many times. God does chasten his people. He allows us to go through trials and tribulations to teach us, to grow us, to strengthen us, but he never pours his wrath out on his own family. It's kind of like, I can say whatever I want about my kids, but you better not say it. You see what I mean? We're his kids. He watches out for us. Here we have the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, not believers, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Boy, there's a lot of that going on right now. In unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Because the things that are made, this creation, this world, this earth, this planet, this solar system, this universe, could only have been made by God, a supernatural divine being. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, and no matter who you are, where you live, a knowledge of the one true God is obvious, it's available, 
He speaks to us through his creation. Because although they knew God by his creation, anything out there that you can't make, God made it. God's given us the ability to make things. Everything in this room was made by human hands. But the resources, the materials to make them came from God. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. The Bible says that we have been created in God's image. The secularist, the humanist, the atheist, the non-believer, rather than recognizing that they're created in God's image, try to create their own God in their image. Shirley MacLaine, I am God. (laughs) And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. People love to worship things that are inferior to them because it makes them feel superior. You see, when you worship the real God, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to acknowledge that I'm nothing and he's everything. But if you want to worship a dolphin, you know, that's the porpoise-driven church. (laughs) If you want to worship an owl or even angels. We're forbidden in the Bible to worship angels. They're just servants of God. They're even our servants. But people would rather worship an animal, a bird, a creeping thing, because in actuality, even though they may act though it's some kind of a deity, in their heart of hearts they know that they're superior, and therefore it gives them a feeling that they are superior. The beast is inferior, and so it gives them a feeling of superiority to worship something lower than they are. Now, what we're talking about here is the deforestation of the planet. A third of the trees were burned up. I looked it up. There's actually at least 22 positive benefits derived from the presence of trees on our planet. Did you know that? I'm just going to give you a few. They clean the air. They reduce carbon dioxide. They improve water quality. They reduce flooding and erosion, obviously. They temper the climate provides shelter for, and food for animals and birds, right? And that's just a few things. There are at least 22 benefits from trees. So if we lose a third of the trees on this planet, that's going to be a big problem. That's just the beginning. We're only in the first round or the first phase of the second set of judgments. And then notice what we read next here in verse 7. All green grass was burned up, Now, we've moved, particularly here in the Southwest, to more and more of what they call xeriscaping. Low water plants, desert plants, rocks. You're seeing fewer and fewer grass lawns to preserve water. But having said that, in many parts of our country and other parts of the world, there are natural grasses, prairie grasses, tundra grasses, and so forth. And they all serve a very important purpose And when all green grass is burned up, that's going to be a bit of a problem, really devastating. Imagine, um, we always joke around about how, I grew up in Arizona, as you know, and uh, if the great earthquake were to come and California were to break off, there'd be some great beachfront property in Arizona. Unfortunately, it probably wouldn't make it over to New Mexico. We'd have to drive to, to Phoenix to go to the beach. But just imagine... We live in part of this great southwestern desert region. Imagine New Mexico, Arizona, California, many parts of California are desert. High desert here in the west, Utah, parts of Colorado. Imagine this type of a desert scenario multiplied by at least 10 times over but not just here in the Southwest, but all over the planet, all green grass being burned up. 
And how that will be achieved, we're going to look at some possibilities here as we move along here. But we know that there's indicators from the scriptures that there will be uh, the intensity of the sun's heat will be magnified. And again, all this hoopla about climate change being because of us, because of the mankind, the human race, the real climate change is going to come in the tribulation. It won't be man's doing, it'll be God's doing. So those that are worried, concerned about climate change, they haven't seen anything yet. And they'll be longing for this time right now that we're living in. Unless they're Christians and they go up in the rapture. Okay, the second trumpet. And by the way, grass provides many of the same benefits as trees. Trees and grass are essential for the sustaining of all life forms on the earth. Absolutely. Okay, second trumpet. The seas are struck. First we saw the vegetation being struck, now the trees, the salt, water. And again, so it's like anything and everything that man worships besides God is going to get judged. See, if you're going to worship the environment, guess what? God's going to take that environment away from you. Because you didn't worship him, you worshiped the grass, the trees. What was that bumper sticker, have you hugged a tree today? (laughs) I mean, we can enjoy God's creation, but we better darn well give Him the credit for it. Okay. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Now, there are those who study the Bible, Bible prophecy, who believe that this is describing one or more massive volcanic eruptions. Doesn't it sound like that? A great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Right now you can look at footage of what's happening on the big island of Hawaii. Their volcano is active. And it's gradually chewing up more of the land on that uh, east side of the island. But there are other active volcanoes around the world right now that could potentially erupt at any moment. Remember, if if you've studied much of history, Pompeii, Ancient Pompeii was buried. Krakatoa, east of Java, was buried. Mount St. Helens, man, that was like a nuclear blast. And it spread ash, volcanic ash, at least halfway across the country. We already talked about the smoke from the forest fires. And then you get some volcanic ash mixed in. And we're going to see the results of that here in a moment. A third of the sea became blood. Some have said are blood-like, resembling blood, a red tide. Red tides are algae that's stirred up from the bottom of the ocean when you have some kind of cataclysmic event like a hurricane, a tsunami, or so forth. They had some problems recently down in Florida that was destroying uh, sea life down there from this red algae that comes up. It is toxic. It is damaging. And certainly something like massive One or more massive volcanic eruptions could create this kind of a situation. It reminds us of the first plague of Egypt, Exodus 7, 19 through 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, take up your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Literally blood, or again blood-like, resembling blood, Whatever it was, it was a supernatural action on God's part, a judgment, an outpouring of his wrath on the people of Egypt who were idol worshipers and refused to acknowledge the one true God and refused to let Moses and the children of Israel go that they might worship their God in the desert, remember? Verse 9, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. So we see something else here. 
A third of the living creatures in the sea dying, massive loss of food supply, still a major source of food in our world, the harvesting of the seas for all the different sea life, massive sea contamination as a result of all the dead sea creatures in the water. And I would point out at this point that one-third, this is a gradual judgment that gains intensity as we move through the seven years of the tribulation, but it also could be indicative of uh, this first round here of trumpets, could be a regional situation, one-third of all the sea creatures, one-third of the ships, so this could be a big cataclysmic event that happens in a certain region of the world rather than an entire global event at this point. Sounds regional rather than global. Although ultimately the entire world will be judged. Verse 10, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. So first we had the uh, vegetation, then we had the salt water. Now we have the fresh water, which from the human point of sustaining life is even more significant. Fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now, again, this first mountain pouring into the sea, sounding like volcanic eruptions. We know that there is tremendous potential for that all over the planet. They're percolating even as we speak. This, scientists, by the way, have been warning us for quite some time now that one or more giant meteors or asteroids could strike upon the Earth. It could be imminent, as a matter of fact. We could also be looking possibly at a nuclear strike here. Although I would point out that the ten plagues of Egypt were definitely pre-nuclear. So God doesn't need any man-made nukes to get his job done. But it could include those. It could include those. The last massive recorded meteor strike was in Siberia in 1906, and it leveled miles and miles of trees and so forth. We had a close call in 1937, actually. And I think I mentioned this recently, but I was on a high school field trip living in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, we went up to the Meteor Crater. Have any of you ever been to the Meteor Crater? That thing is like three miles across and over 500 feet deep. And um, I remember Pastor Chuck Smith talking about this years ago, that we know about the Ice Age, right? We know that they've found mastodons and other animals like they were quick frozen, right? still preserved, fully preserved vegetation in their mouths, indicating some kind of a massive instantaneous event that froze these animals. And the belief is that perhaps that meteor that struck in northern Arizona, we know that the Earth's tilt on its axis at some point shifted. And so what it would have done, it would have, um, rather than those animals living in a tropical or subtropical region, when the axis shifted, it created this Arctic region immediately. You know, we know something in New Mexico about instantaneous temperature changes, don't we? <laughs> Hello. But what happened in this ancient event, what we experience eclipses and compared to that. This is pretty much scientifically factual, we know it happened, okay? It happened. We know that in times past we've had giant meteors or asteroids that have hit the earth, and there's been concern about others possibly doing the same, and it would appear during the tribulation that's exactly what is going to happen. We saw back in Revelation 6.12 on the sixth seal... I looked when he opened the sixth seal. John says he see Jesus opening this sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, 
as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This part where it says, as a fig tree drops its late figs, possibly a meteor shower. We also discussed other options as far as nuclear activity as well. And more than likely, it's going to be all of the above. This time, Jesus said this time during the tribulation would be worse than any other time in human history. No other time like it. And so basically, every concern, every possible scenario that scientific community and others are concerned about, things we've seen in science fiction and so forth, is all going to play out during the tribulation. Good reason to accept Jesus Christ right now so that you will be protected one way or the other. I'm 99.999% convinced that we will not be here for these events. The church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But in the event that 0.001% that I'm wrong and many others are wrong, I still know God will protect us. One way or the other. Okay, keep in mind, too, I want to point this out. This is from the New American Standard Bible because I like the way they have translated this. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is God. Do we have that clear? By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Yes, he even created certain individuals back east (laughs) that shall remain nameless, but not in our minds. We know who they are. All things have been created through him and for him. See, I say this all the time. Folks, it's so helpful if we can go through life with this perspective because we human beings tend to be so selfish, so self-focused, so self-centered, and I'm just as bad as anybody else. But the reality of it is, it's all about him, it's all because of him, and it's all for him. And I have, I have no problem with that, because if not for him, I wouldn't be here. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, the great I am. And in him, this is what I'm trying to get to here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. In him, all things hold together. That means without him, it would all fall apart. Jesus holds all things together. All he has to do is say the word, and things begin to fly apart or fall apart, and that's exactly what we're seeing here in the tribulation. God pulling back and beginning to let things fly apart, fall apart so that everybody will know beyond the shadow of a doubt he holds all things together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. It, whatever it is, asteroid, meteor, nuke, all the above, it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now, we know many parts of the world are already experiencing drought, water shortages, shortage of water, again, particularly here in the southwest, this dry region, but there are parts of the world that are much worse shaped than we are. But just imagine when this happens, one-third of the rivers and the springs of water. Again, this thing is called wormwood or could also be translated hemlock. Wormwood is a bitter desert plant mentioned only here in the New Testament. It's mentioned seven times in the Old Testament where it represents sorrow and bitter judgment, wormwood. But now hemlock, let me tell you a little bit about hemlock. Poison hemlock grows throughout the United States. It's very toxic. Sheep, cattle, swine, horses, and other domestic animals are poisoned by eating small amounts of green or dried plant. It's also extremely poisonous to humans. 
Poison hemlock is sometimes confused with western water hemlock, a more deadly species, because the names are similar. Poison hemlock is commonly called deadly hemlock, poison parsley, spotted hemlock, European hemlock in California, or Nebraska fern. So what this is telling us is that somehow, either supernaturally or by nuclear holocaust, a third of the rivers and springs of water are going to become poisoned, undrinkable, toxic. Again, quite possibly we may be looking at nuclear contamination. Chernobyl, Fukushima, you've heard about those, right? Many years ago, Pastor Carl and I went to the Ukraine to visit our missionary, Shane, over there. And this was around 2000, 2001, so it hadn't been that long since Ukraine came out from under the Soviet Union. It was really strange to be in a European country, and yet it was very much like a third world country. Very oppressed, depressed, poverty-stricken. But we, we uh, spent time with local people there, had fellowship with them, had meals with them, and we heard all the stories about all the diseases and, and afflictions that the people there had to deal with as a result of the meltdown of the nuclear facility in Chernobyl, which was right on the Dnieper River. We went to a city called Nepropetrovsk, which was on that Dnieper River there. And I don't know how far up, 100 miles, 200 miles, where that plant melted down. And then all that water in the river became contaminated. And a lot of the people, most of their food supply came from that river, from the fish and so forth. So we know that there was a lot of cancer, a lot of liver damage, and different things that took place. It was very sad. But I've had a little bit of firsthand knowledge or experience with that. And there have been um, indications from the Fukushima meltdown in Japan that some of that nuclear waste has made its all the way to the west coast of the United States, particularly the Pacific Northwest up around Washington. Again, this is nothing. This is just the tip of the iceberg, what we've seen up to this point. Many men died from the water because it was made bitter, toxic, poisonous. The fourth trumpet, the heavens are struck. Now, not the third heaven where God lives, but the heavens that we see around us, the solar system, the stars, the constellations, and so forth. The fourth trumpet, verse 12, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So what this means is that the light emitting from these heavenly bodies will be reduced by one-third. Now, we're kind of spoiled here in the southwest. We get a lot of sunshine, don't we? I love sunshine. I don't like it when it's cloudy and overcast. A big part of the country experiences that a lot more than we do. We're blessed here, in my opinion. Now, I have a son who lives up in Olympia, Washington. He doesn't like the sun. <laughs> He's, he took after his mom. He has red hair and freckles and uh, sensitive skin. And he's never liked the sun or heat. So he's happy up there with the, uh, the cloudiness, the overcast, the rain, and so forth. But I guarantee you, when all this comes down, people will be crying out for more sunlight, for more warmth, because it's going to be this crazy back-and-forth thing between scorching heat and then probably some severe cold as well. So you see the environmentalists, first they told us that the earth was cooling, we were going to enter another ice age, climate change, climate change. Then they changed it and said, no, actually it's getting hotter, right? It's kind of like one day they tell you coffee's bad for you, the next day it's great. Drink three or four cups a day. You've heard that, right? They changed their minds. It's really good for you. So all we need to do is follow them and just do whatever they say. Right? What if, if they told you tomorrow peanut butter could kill you? Well, I guess we better stop eating peanut butter. But then the next day they tell you, It'll, you'll lift, if you eat peanut butter every day, you'll live to be 120. Oh, okay, well, got to go back and get some peanut butter. I think I'll follow God. I think that'll work better. I think that'll work better. So, being struck 
means that something causes the amount of light that reaches the earth from these entities to become diminished so that a third of them were darkened. Again, what have we seen so far that could potentially do this? Volcanic ash. Uh, Pastor Chuck has a take on this that I'll share in a moment, but we could be talking volcanic ash. Nuclear ash. Did you know that nuclear fallout creates ash? And man, I'll tell you what, volcanic ash is bad enough. You don't want to be exposed to any nuclear ash. And by the way, remember the Twin Towers, 9-11? All the ash, all that toxic chemicals that were created by the destruction of the Twin Towers, a lot of the first responders and other people in New York City died from exposure to all that. All kinds of diseases from exposure to the toxic chemicals in the ash that was created when those towers came down. Something about two, two and a half years into the tribulation when all these calamities occur supernaturally or by man's own stupidity or a combination are going to create a situation where one-third of all the light from the stars, the sun, the moon, and by the way, this, the light from the sun is what fuels those other entities, right? The light the moon gives off is just its reflection from the sun, which, by the way, is how you and I operate. Jesus is the sun. He's the light. Any light that we reflect is only because it comes from him. Could be volcanic ash, nuclear ash, fallout, both. Could be both. Either way, not good. I just read here, it was just last spring, April 17, 2020, I don't know if you remember this, they had fires over there in Chernobyl. And it says here, according to Forbes magazine, April 17, 2020, Chernobyl fires drop radioactive ash, send air quality plummeting. Just happened last spring. So a third of the day did not shine. And again, I've spent some time in Scandinavia in the fall when the days were getting shorter. Now the beauty of it is if you live up close to the Arctic Circle like Norway, Sweden, Finland up that way, or even Alaska, in the summertime it never gets dark practically. Of course it makes it hard to sleep. You've got to have some pretty good window coverings. But in the winter, there's never any light. And that can make you stir crazy, as they say. A third of the light did not shine, and likewise, the night. Light from the sun, moon, and stars will be diminished by one-third. Again, could be caused by volcanic ash, nuclear ash, forest fires. Because we saw a third of the vegetation being destroyed, and that's going to happen by fire, and most likely... We know there are other things that can destroy it, but primarily we're talking about fire there. Because hail and fire followed, mingled with blood and so forth, thrown down to the earth. Hail can damage the vegetation as well. So here's Chuck's take on this section. He says, it is quite possible that in this, if it is indeed a meteorite shower... And when these meteorites come into our atmosphere and disintegrate, they turn into dust. He's talking about these dropping like figs and so forth. And it could be that a tremendously heavy shower could create so much dust in our atmosphere that would actually begin to filter out the light of the sun. Even as when Mount St. Helens erupted and it became dark at noon, in several of the cities in Washington around Mount St. Helens, as that thing disintegrated to dust, and really darkened the skies. So the whole top of that mountain blew off, exploded like a nuclear explosion. That created all this dust and ash, Mount St. Helens. So a heavy, heavy kind of meteorite shower, if it is like a fig tree dropping its figs in a wind, just a heavy shower of meteorites around the earth disintegrating into dust could very well shade the sun for a time with all the debris in the atmosphere. And so the sun shone, but for a third part, and the moon, of course, is just a reflection of the sun and the stars. That's a quote from Pastor Chuck Smith, the late, great Pastor Chuck Smith. 
So our final verse today, verse 13, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, the word here, interestingly, in the Greek, it's not our regular word, angelos, angelos, Los Angeles, the city of angels, angelos, but it's eto, A-E-T-O, the English transliteration of the Greek, eto, which translates eagle. So you could translate this verse, I heard an eagle flying through the midst of heaven. And actually some translations do use that word, but here's the deal. Ezekiel 10, 14, describing the cherubim before the throne of God, whom we have been reintroduced to here in the book of Revelation. Each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face, the face of a man. The third face, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. Revelation 4, 7, the first living creature these are the living creatures before the throne that we've read about. It was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. So it is my somewhat educated opinion that this is this eagle. Again, the Greek word would indicate eagle. But I believe this is an angel, specifically a cherubim. And he says with a loud voice, again, eagles as we know them don't speak, do they? And yet this eagle is speaking with a loud voice. I think it's an angel, it's a cherubim. What's he saying? Woe, 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 triple woe, pretty big woe, to the inhabitants of the earth. And by the way, woe here is not a wake-up call. It's not a call to repentance. See, right now, God's Holy Spirit is searching the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully toward him. Now, some people's hearts are toward him, but they don't know it yet. But he's drawing them to himself. Okay? But here, this is not a call to repentance. This is not wake-up call. It's a warning of guaranteed impending doom and judgment. It's coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. This is, look out, it's coming. Three more trumpets. Because of the remaining blasts, why should you be worried? <laughs> because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Three more trumpet judgments. This is the second round. We have the bowls coming up next. We've already seen the seals, the seven seal judgments. Now we're in the midst of the trumpet judgments. And this cherubim with the face of an eagle giving this warning to the inhabitants of the earth. You ain't seen nothing yet. Let's stand. Father God, we do want to thank you this morning that in Jesus Christ we have nothing to fear. Lord, we're not studying these things because we are going to be victims of your wrath. But we are studying them because you want us to. You've told us to. You've given us your word. You want us to know these things. You want us to be watching, waiting, prayerful, prepared. And Lord, I believe you also want to use this information to stir our hearts towards those who are not saved, those who are not believers, those that are lost. Lord, we shouldn't just sit back and rest on our laurels and enjoy the fact that we are promised salvation, eternal life, protection. Lord, I pray that you would use these things to stir our hearts towards the lost. Lord, because this is what's going to happen to them if they don't get right with you. Lord, that doesn't mean that believers will not suffer any trials or tribulations. We know that they always have and they always will until we see you face to face. We also recognize there's a big difference between trials and tribulations and wrath. 
we thank you. Your word tells us we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Doesn't mean we won't suffer, but we will not suffer your wrath. God, we ask for your wisdom, your guidance, your direction as we navigate the troubled waters of the last days. But Lord, we're reminded that when you were out there on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples and you fell asleep and the storm came up and they were all freaking out and you just took control, walked on the water, said, peace, be still, and the storm was calmed. Lord, help us to always remember that. Keep our eyes on you. Lord, the storm may be raging all around us, but Father, we know we can have peace and calm through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us to never forget that, Lord. And as we close, if you need prayer this morning, just raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Lift your hand, whatever it might be. Health, financial issues, relationship issues, whatever it might be. Attitudinal issues, depression, discouragement. Whatever it is, God can help you with it if you want him to. Raise your hand. Father God, I lift up those right now with their hands raised. Lord, the great thing is you know each one of them. You told us that even the very hairs on our heads are numbered. Lord, you know us inside and out. You know us even better than we know ourselves. So I lift up each one to you now, Lord, whatever it might be, whether it's discouragement, depression, confusion. Lord, your word says that you're not the author of confusion. So in Jesus' name right now, we call for clarity of heart and mind for those who are struggling with confusion of any kind. Lord, depression, discouragement. Lord, you said you came to heal the brokenhearted. Please heal the brokenhearted amongst us today and even those watching on the internet or on YouTube or wherever it might be, Lord. Pour out your peace. Lord, you promised if we would not be anxious for anything but bring everything to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that we'd make our request known to you that you would give us the peace that passes, surpasses all understanding. Lord, pour out that peace upon each one now, I ask in Jesus' name. Pray for physical healing where it's needed, God. You are the great physician. We're thankful for all the, the medical people, the uh, medical advancements, all the things that are available to us today. But Lord, none of it compares to you. You are the great physician. You can do what no man can do. Please pour out your healing upon those in need of healing. And Lord, we include in that those in our church who have been afflicted with cancer, diabetes, heart disease, whatever affliction it might be, we ask and pray for healing. In the name of Jesus, pray for financial provision, jobs that are needed, resources. Lord, you told us if we would seek first your kingdom, that all these things would be added to us. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And then we ask you, we humbly ask you to add to us those things that we need for our daily provision. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. I do pray for encouragement and strength for each one as we go forth from this place today. And we pray for your blessing upon uh, that you would receive our final offering of praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.